Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, so today I want to talk about something that I think is so integral to our Christian walk in our life. It's called communion. Communion, the invitation and response. What I want to talk about today, and we're actually, later on I'm going to ask Dave to wheel the, the table of communion through for us to take. I want to talk about how we can understand this word, this a word of communion in both word and in practice. So word and practice. I also want to talk about how necessary it is for us in Christian life that communion with God and partaking in communion helps us find peace, overcome hardships, find godly perspective. And one thing that I think is so important for us is to be captivated by God. When's the last time that you were able to say that I was truly captivated by God? That captivated my attention, that caught, caught my eye, and I was focused fully on the goodness and glory of God. I think and I believe that communion is integral to, to that in our lives, living that way. So say communion, communion. Say kononia. Kononia, that is the Greek word for communion. And I'll explain what it means as we go on. But it's good to understand the biblical meaning and understanding because we're a Bible-believing church. We believe that the revelatory Word of God is what guides us throughout life. And I believe that if we're seeking for vision for our future, we need to be looking to the Bible for that truth and that direction. So when I say the word communion, the first thing that I believe a lot of us will do is go directly to the idea of communion through the sacraments or the symbols. The bread and the wine, the blood and the flesh. Yeah, and I think that's, that's good, that's important because that is what it is. Communion is through sacraments or symbols, the bread and the wine, the blood and the flesh. But also if we read and understand the word kononia, there's an, uh, it means to partake in. It means intimacy. It means communication. There's a talk that's talking about an invitation and a response, this word kononia. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack communion, the purpose of it, and how we as a church are going to start embracing this more. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26 it should be up on the screen. If you can't read that, I apologize, but hopefully you can understand what I'm saying. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remembrance, that word is peppered, well, it's, a, it's in there. Remembrance, remembrance. Communion is an act of remembering something. 
Communion, which is also called the Lord's Supper, we've probably heard it called the Lord's Supper before, is a ritual meal of bread and wine in which the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, which Christians believe, which is what we are, was broken on the cross for them. And the wine represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Pentecostals believe that communion is symbolic and is used to primarily remind believers of the sacrifice Christ made for them. In different denominations, they carry different power, the communion, but ultimately all of it points to Jesus and remembering what Jesus had done when he died on the cross and when his blood was shed for us. The one thing, who's, who's grown up in church or has been coming to church for quite a while? The danger of growing up, of of coming to church for a while, is becoming familiar. Familiar with these things that are so central to our faith. We we create familiarity towards practices such as communion, prayer, times of worship. Um, I loved that Molly read out the Lord's Prayer at the start. I love that, and I think that's something that I want us to do as a church is put up on the screen and then recite it back. There's something powerful about these traditions, these practices. But what happens if we become too familiar, we start to become apathetic to things that carry such significance because we don't know what we're meant to do or we don't know how we're meant to respond. It could be that, or else we've responded and it just doesn't feel the way we thought it would feel. Or maybe we've become a bit disillusioned with it and we start saying, it's just legalism. It's just a tradition. You just do it to tick a box. But actually, there's something powerful about it. And when we understand it for the importance and the significance that it is and it has, I think we will start to recapture the purpose of communion and will start to be recaptivated by the glory of God. So let's recapture the purpose of communion and other such practices so we can understand the dynamic nature of them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack communion as an invitation to which we can respond. An invitation to which we can respond. Um, who's heard of the author called A.W. Tozer? A.W. Tozer I remember the first time I read an A.W. Tozer book. I opened the first page, wrote, read the first paragraph, then put it down and just sat on that paragraph for a month because I was like, oh, that, that hit me. That like hit me right in my heart. You know, that, that really convicted me. And I want to read a passage to you from his book, which also provides us with a strong argument for traditions and symbolic practices in our modern services. But also, I think it's something for us just to to dwell on. So I'm going to encourage you. You can look at me or you can close your eyes and really take these words in because there's a lot here. So if you can just follow me here. We of the non-liturgical churches... Liturgy basically means, I'll just explain it, it's a standardized order of events within a church service. So we often find liturgical service services such as Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican churches, they have things like public prayer, reading of scriptures, something called the Eucharist, which is what we call communion. But there's a standardized order of events and you often get something printed out saying that we're going to do this, read this, sing this. So that is called liturgy. 
But as a Pentecostal church, um, we're not a liturgical church. We are non-liturgical. So there's a bit of context for you. We, have the no- we of the non-liturgical churches tend to look with some disdain upon those churches that follow a carefully prescribed form of service. And certainly there must be a good deal in such services that has little or no meaning for the average participant. This is not because it is carefully prescribed, because, but because the average particip- participant is what he is. But I have observed that our familiar impromptu service planned by the leader 20 minutes before, (laughs) often tends to follow a ragged and tired ordered, almost as standardized as the mass. The liturgical service is at least beautiful. Ours is often ugly. Theirs has been carefully worked out through the centuries to capture as much of beauty as possible and to preserve a spirit of reverence among the worshippers. Ours is often an off-the-cuff makeshift with nothing to recommend it. It's so-called liberty is often not liberty at all, but sheer slovenliness. The theory is that if the meeting is unplanned, the Holy Spirit will work freely. And that would be true if all the worshippers were reverent and spirit-filled. But mostly there is neither order nor spirit, just a routine prayer that is, except for minor variations, the same week after week. And a few songs that were never meant to start with, that were never much to start with and have long ago lost all significance by meaningless repetition. In the majority of our meetings, there is scarcely a trace of reverent thought, no recognition of the unity of the body, little sense of the divine presence, no moment of stillness, no solemnity, no wonder, no holy fear. But so often there is a dull or breezy song leader full of awkward jokes as well as a chairman announcing each number with the old radio continuity pattern in an effort to make everything hang together. The whole Christian family stands desperately in need of a restoration of penitence, humility, and tears. May God send them soon. So I read that (laughs) the other day. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, that hit me hard. That hit me hard. But it's a pretty brutal observation of a lot of Protestant modern churches. Like I was saying, the standardized orders of events that we have at liturgical churches, we need to start looking at them and trying to understand them and being like, what is it about these services that that that's powerful? There's they're capturing beauty there that we might not be able to in our free spirited services. And as a person who's grown up in a Pentecostal church, believes in the Pentecostal movement and sees Pentecost all the way in the Bible and understands it, I think there's what's important for us is to, to try and mature by looking backwards at some of the beauty of traditions that we can recapture as we move forward. We want to create a space for people to encounter God and experiences goodness. But like Toza says, not everyone does in services. You might be uncomfortable. You might not just be used to it. So I say, we are faced with a decision. Do we create space for people to encounter God? Or do we introduce ways to capture as much beauty as possible and preserve a spirit of reverence among the worshippers? I believe let's do both. Let's do both. 
There's a spirit of freedom that Pentecost poured out on us. The space where we can experience the beauty of God. But hey, why not introduce some, some practices and some traditions, maybe more than your average, so we can both experience the freedom and the beauty of God in these different things. Who thinks that sounds like a good idea? I think it's, we develop, we, we grow. I think I want this. It's something that's just been burning inside of me. I think since Nisha read out the, what was the creed you read out in Storytellers? The Nicene Creed. Since you read out the Nicene Creed at our last Storytellers, I've been burning. I've been wanting, let's, let's look at these different things that we can incorporate to create and capture as much beauty of who God is in our services. So what I want to talk about is, because what I'm talking about here, sorry, is that we want to give space, but then we want to capture as much beauty as possible. And I believe we're able to embrace both because communion does that. Communion captures both. If you understand what I was saying, there's an invitation and response. The invitation we receive through communion is to the table of the Lord. To partake of the bread and the wine, the flesh and the blood. The beautiful tradition helps us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his broken body, his blood spilt, and our freedom bought. But this is the next step of communion. This is the next step. Because what often happens after we take communion is we give our cups back and then we're like, oh, what's the next part? I believe we were actually meant to take a next step after we partake of the symbols. What we are meant to do is take of the bread and the wine, the flesh and the blood, and then respond to a further invitation to stay. To stay. To be still. To be in God's presence. I want to put up a picture here for you. Sam, can you put up the picture of the tabernacle, please, bro? Yeah, so I don't know if you know much about the tabernacle or the Old Testament. But the tabernacle is such a profound picture for us in the Bible. And where we can understand this just a little bit more, what's going to happen is we're going to understand that God's been inviting us to a dynamic communion with Him for many, many years. So let's go right back to the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden by eating the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the Garden to the east. Can you put up Genesis 3.24, Sam? It says, And he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, and cherubim and flaming sword flashing back and forth to guide the way to the tree of life. So we were driven out. So man represents humanity, was driven out to the east side. At this moment, all of humanity experienced a break in relationship with God and was symbolically banished to the east. Whichever one. But God had a special plan to restore the relationship. He, he chose a special people 
the Israelites and told them to build a tabernacle. So you can put the tabernacle back up, Sam. Which is a tent. The tabernacle is a tent because God wanted to live among his people. He didn't want to be separated by sin. He wanted to live among his people. So in the tabernacle, there was actually a lampstand shaped like a tree, which is meant to remind them of the tree of life in the garden, what life was like there with God. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing something special. We're seeing this, all these things to remember and understand and be in the presence of God. In the tabernacle, there were two sections, the holy place and the holy of holies. Holy place and the holy of holies. God's very presence resides in the holy of holies and is separated from the rest of the tent by a thick curtain. And if you know the Bible or you've heard the story of Jesus, a curtain is significant in, in his story, the narrative. But this curtain symbolizes separation from people due to sin. Right outside of this curtain, though, you see the, the table of shoe bread? The one, can everyone see? It's kind of central. It's got two circles. The table of shoe bread. This is also called the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence. So right back in the tabernacle, there was bread that was symbolic of our way into God's presence. Bread. And there was one loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So if we jump to the verse, Sam, Leviticus 24, verses 5, it says, Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf and arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack on the table of pure gold before the Lord. But each stack puts some pure incense as a memorial, portioned to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. The bread represents covenant here. Come on. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is the most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So we have a picture. If we go back to the tabernacle, please, Sam. You're earning your, your money today, Sam. We have this tent, the entrance to the tent facing the east where humanity, humanity symbolically lives, separated from God. So what God is doing is inviting the Israelites to come and dine with him at his table. But the curtain is still there reminding them they can't because of their sin. So we've got the bread, which says, come, come to the table. But there's a curtain there that's still saying, you need to be cleansed. You need to be saved. You need to be, you need to be renewed. So outside of the tent in the tabernacle courtyard was an altar. The one on the far right, the altar of burnt offerings. 
On this altar once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest sacrificed a bull and a goat for his sins and the sins of the people. Because of this sacrifice, he can enter into God's presence in the most holy place. But this is just a temporary solution. Just a temporary solution. And there's only one person, the high priest, who could enter. So this goes on for thousands of over a thousand years of sacrifice during which the people transitioned from worshipping God at the tabernacle to a temple, which also faced east. But then God said, all right, let's change it. It's enough. And he sent his son, Jesus, in the world to fix the eternal problem. So this was a temporary sacrifice you see in here, along with other things, you see the bread and the uh, the the bread and the wine, which is more so the blood. See the the bread and the blood. We see that picture there of communion that we take now already in place for a thousand plus years. But what Jesus does the night before he's crucified, he takes bread, breaks it, and says, "This is my body." which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes 12 loaves of bread, which was 12 loaves of bread on that table for the 12 tribes, takes 12 loaves of bread and gives them to 12 disciples. Jesus was inviting anyone who trusts in him to enter into God's presence through his bodily sacrifice. But still at this point in the story, People can't enter into his presence. They, they've been invited, but they can't fully yet enter into his presence. Why? Because the curtain in the temple is still symbolically separating people from God's presence. So Jesus fixes the problem, not by shedding the blood of a bull or a goat, but by shedding his own blood. Then Jesus takes a cup of wine and he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus sheds his blood so we can eat at the table in God's presence. And it says in Matthew 27, you can pop that up, say in Matthew 27. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And God was so satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice that he tore the temple curtain and he invited us to come and eat bread with him at his table. So when we partake in communion, we're actually doing something that the Israelites were not allowed to do. When we partake in communion, we're eating in God's presence. The thing is, some of us are still living in the east outside of God's presence. Or some of us, are th our mentality is still in the east outside of God's presence. But God is wanting us to come and dine with him. And we do this by confessing our sins and trusting in Jesus. So Dave, could you grab us the, the table? You know, the invitation is for us to come to the table. The invitation is for us to come to the table. Communion for those who believe because of Jesus. The difference is that we, once you come to the table, 
you don't leave the table. You stay. You stay in God's presence. The beauty of the practice of communion is a reminder of how we entered God's presence. But we never left God's presence. We never left God's presence. So can you close your eyes for a second? The act of communion is is so important because we see and we understand what led to us actually being able to come into God's presence. But taking communion does not mean that you were re-saved over once again. It doesn't mean in between communion you lost your salvation. That's what it was like for a long time, that you needed the high priest to come in on your behalf, to go in on your behalf. But now what it means is that communion is a reminder that you have never left the table of God. Yet some of us put ourselves outside of the tent in the east. Some of us are just looking, saying, God, will you let me back into your presence? I've had a bad week. I've stuffed up. And we're saying, but God, will you let me back in? We're feeling down. Life is falling apart. And we think to ourselves, am I good enough? Have I been cast out of God's presence? Some of us just need to take communion to remember that we have stayed at the table. We never left the table of the Lord. And when we stay, we start to make an exchange with God. In God's presence, we exchange conflict for peace. In God's presence, we exchange hardship for ease. In God's presence, we exchange fear for boldness. And in God's presence, we are captivated by His glory. Like I was saying, the beauty of this practice is that we remember but the great thing about the freeness of the Spirit is that it helps us to realize that we are already in His presence. And when we are in His presence, there is communion, there is intimacy, there is communication, there is a partaking and a sharing in the life of God. So when we take communion, I think we need to start taking that next step instead of just saying sweet I did communion we say God what are you doing what are you saying I am here and I want to talk with you be intimate with you communicate with you so what I'm going to encourage you to do now is Dave has got some some communion whenever you're ready please go grab the, the juice and the bread and then just return to your seats and we're going to take communion together.
And if someone could deliver some to the mums up the back as well, that would be fantastic. Someone, when we filled these cups today, we thought we need a lot of, we need a lot of the blood. <laughs> there is a lot, so only take what you feel is necessary. But this, this is, this cup will make sure that you're really saved. <laughs> So like I was saying early on, Sam, can you put the Corinthians verse on the second one in there? So this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this for me whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And it also talks about this is my body broken for you. The two parts, the dynamic nature of communion and word and practice means that we partake and we remember but then the communion, kononia, means to stay in His presence. We don't try and just say, I've done this, because there's, God wants to exchange something in that time. He wants to exchange something with you, a perspective. He wants to take a fear from you. God wants you to know that in His presence, you are free. In His presence, where you stay, God is good. He wipes away every tear. He heals the brokenhearted. Communion is not just an old tradition. It is a living, active participation in the life of God. So with every eye closed, until you drink so you don't spill it on yourself. First of all, let's, let's take of the bread. His body broken for us. As we remember Him. And this is the cup of the new covenant. The covenant is a promise. The promises of God to us. So when he created this new covenant, by dying on the cross, he fulfilled the, the needs, and necessity, what was necessary for this covenant to be done. So this, the covenant we have with God was created by God and fulfilled by Jesus. So there's nothing we can do except receive the gift of life and freedom that Jesus offers us through faith now. So when we take of this, 
we remember Jesus dying on the cross and giving us that free gift. So when you're ready, take it, partake. What I want to do now, though, is I want you to not move on. I want you to stay. So with every eye closed, I want to read a verse out to you, a passage. And Molly read this out at our leaders meeting on on Thursday night, and this sat with me. This is Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. It said, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes communion does not end once we have partaken of the bread and the wine communion is a reminder of the new reality that we live in because of Jesus Christ Jesus we lift your name up we say thank you Jesus, we declare that communion has power. Power to remind us, but power to invite us to stay. God, we don't want to be a people of shallow faith. We don't want to be a people who don't understand the significance of what we do. So right now, as we're in your presence, as we're making an exchange with you, we declare that you are God, you are our King, you sit on the throne, you captivate us. Can we just take a second, a minute, Just hold up to God that which is in our heart.
then look at him in all his glory. God wants you to partake in his life. He wants you to partake in his life. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to communicate with you at a table, sharing in the goodness of all creation. Let us never, ever, ever underestimate the value of these traditions. And let us realign ourselves with the beauty that these traditions and practices do to fill up the space of our services and create reverence and glory and honour. Amen. Amen. I don't know if that means something to you or that hit you or has encouraged you to look into something, but what I want to say is that we, we often talk about, I want to go deeper with God. And what we often try and do is create new ways of that. But there are so many things that are tried and tested, proven over the years that will help us realize that God is here all the time and these things help us realign our spirit with Him. So we're going to continue taking communion as a church. We're going to continue saying the Lord's Prayer and singing the Lord's Prayer as a church. But let's see what else we can discover as we go on our way. Yeah? I love you all. I encourage you to come along next week. If not, I encourage you to connect with someone this week. Go grab a coffee. Um, Dave's ready to make some amazing coffee. Um, But apart from that, it's so good to preach again. As much as I enjoyed the picnic last week, I love it when we we get to do this together. All right. Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.